Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, are you ready to start singing Christmas carols and all that stuff? You can see what I'm wearing. I've got a sweater oh. on. Uh, the music is on. I know you've been rocking out to you know the holiday music in the car and and uh, around the uh, the house and the office. So yeah, man, I'm in. I'm all I'm on board. You know what? It's funny is you kind of maneuvered yourself for the camera. I had not seen the uh, the Christmas sweater. That is epic. So for this people who one. can't see this, yeah, you, that's actually not an ugly holiday sweater. That's just that's a good one. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I have no problem with the ugly holiday sweater thing. It, uh, just, I, you know, there's been a lot of it. So when you can actually get like a classic looking one, um, I don't know, something about it just kind of works. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I mean, and we've got the weather for it right now. It's been uh, pretty nice. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so yeah, you know, a lot of stuff going on. You had all the ton of watch releases surprisingly around the holidays everyone's still trying to you know figure out their their finalize their holiday travel plans probably and and wrap up their holiday shopping but you know tons of watch news and watch releases and and uh, the world cup is going on um so just a yeah busy time of year uh for for most folks i think yeah totally it feels like it's one of those for me anyway it's the time of year when um you know the that the hassle factor, unfortunately, the holidays. Can you hear that? By the way, that's my like my motion detector going off. I I can't turn the volume off on it. You're good. All right, good. All right, good enough. Um, yeah, it seems like uh, I I enjoy the holidays as we get a little closer. The first like two weeks or so of December, like immediately post Black Friday here in the United States. Although I think that's a phenomenon pretty much everywhere in the developed world now. Um, it just feels so stressful and, you know, we, we work and live in the Pasadena area and, you know, the, basically the parade route is getting built for the Rose parade and and traffic is starting to suck. And I'm just like, okay, okay. Yeah. That's true. That's true. true. But you know, what doesn't suck. Um, the Spotify, you know, wrapped statistics that they release and you see everybody's, you know, playlists for the year. And sometimes at the end of the day, you're like, okay, I've seen enough of these, but I did want to point out, and I know um, uh, the folks over at Rich Cheese Radio were, I think, recently also doing something similar. It's just really cool and gratifying and humbling, I think, to see how many people are listening to the pod. So in some ways, this is more of like a, hey, thanks, everybody. You know, we as shared on the, on the stories and you and I were on the phone the other day, but, you know, we we're a, a top podcast, a top five podcast for 56 people and a top 10 pad podcast for 137 people on Spotify. Like, that's crazy. That's so cool. And you said uh, uh, that our podcast was in the top 30% most shared globally. Like, how neat is that? I don't know. I was just really happy about that. And, and that's not even, you know, all the other platforms too. That's right. I mean, we're not exactly uh, giving Joe Rogan any sleepless nights, but, you know. The, <laughs> we, the also, watch- we also don't have any of his controversies. <laughs> right, right, right. But, we, you know, um, this this hobby, right, is an inherently niche space, you know, and there's probably about as big as it's ever going to get is maybe several thousand, you know, folks at a time kind of listening to this. So that's pretty cool. It's, I think we have a, a self-selecting audience, you know, people tend to be pretty motivated to listen for this kind of content and hopefully, you know, we're going to just continue to do things a little differently. I know that's actually the plan for this episode, but we'll get to that later. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. It does seem like we've, you know, roughly sort of doubled considering that we have not increased our episode count over the year. I mean, we're still approximately a bi-weekly. Wait, did I say that right? Uh, twice a month, every two weeks. Yep. Was, what is that? Yeah. Anyhow, every two weeks, roughly, as opposed to weekly, you know, so literally we have half of the potential to get listeners and downloads, but we're still kind of uh, keeping up and growing. And that's pretty rad if you ask me. I love I'm happy it. you I love shared it. that. 
Yeah. Thanks to everybody. I appreciate, you know, giving us a reason to keep doing this. Otherwise we probably would, we probably would do it. We just, uh, <laughs> probably might just do it without a, a microphone, but we'd probably be doing about the same thing, but it's yeah, better well, to do I it think- with everybody in, involved. What was it about a month ago? We cranked through the 50th episode and 50,000 downloads. And that's also pretty cool. And we have approximately, I think I had to count manually, depending on how you cut the timeline, uh, it's either 50 or 51, up to about 53 countries, um, including, I and whoever you are, thanks for listening. Um, we have a pretty loyal listener, at least one or two in uh, Liberia of all places. So hope everything is good in West Africa. Love it. That's so cool. So cool. Well, there's uh, been some other cool stuff going on. I think we we got notice of um, Oris uh, participating in the Sotheby's December Important Watches auction, which I think is actually will be just about two days from when we're recording. I think it's on December 9th. And uh, they have two two pieces over there as a part of that, uh, both related to um, to their uh, Oris Wings of Hope. Um uh, uh, watches that they released uh, not that long ago. So that's pretty cool. And hopefully um, those, you know, raise some good funds because I think all the proceeds go to Wings of Hope. Yeah, I think the one that I saw, it, you know, that everybody talked about, the the LE was the gold one. And that's, that's right. you know, that's a beautiful watch. I think, you know, at this stage, Horus, I think, is enough of of a thing. You know, I'm making air quotes here, but enough of a thing in like the collective kind of mind share of watch enthusiasts um, that they could do more precious metal if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that too on the rectangular, obviously they've done it here and maybe that's what sort of got our gears uh, turning as well. But um, I have uh, we have something we'll share sh- on the, on the website soon. And, and we, we mentioned it on our, on our post too, that it would be a, a great piece to, to play with uh, the precious metals, but obviously did it here to, to pretty Pretty great results. Yeah. So with any any luck at all, I mean, that thing will gavel. Is that the term? It'll, you know, gavel for good money. And definitely the term. Wings, wings of Hope will benefit from that, which is a really, um, you know, not to uh, uh, gild the lily on the story, but it reminds me of the quality of the video that was done, you know, for all of the for all the flack and the shit we give Hodinky sometimes, it's all in good fun. But that was one of, I think, one of the better videos uh, that our pal Cole Pennington was involved with, you know, seeing that sort of philanthropy in action, you know, really where sort of the rubber meets the road or I guess the, the av gas meets the air or whatever. But um, <laughs> that, that kind of thing, I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for anything like that, you know, bush flying and and that sort of stuff, basically, you know, single engine land flying dirty. It's super cool. No, it was great storytelling. And I think, you know, we talked to a lot of folks and, you know, the watches are sort of the introduction either to fellow collectors or enthusiasts or to, you know, events or whatever, but really what keeps you there is like sort of the people and the storytelling. And so that's just a great example of that. It's sort of the watches become sort of tangential and it's about like, what else can we talk about? What else can we connect on? What else can we support? Or make a difference in. Yeah. When, and, you know, assuming that sells uh, for a good price, obviously that's a great charity. And I think it's really cool if, if Oris continues to kind of gain notoriety as being, you know, a real independent enthusiast player, especially in the tool watch space. And again, as I said before, I think there's a lot of room for them to do things in precious metal or semi-precious metal. You know, I, I would beg them to do a, like a, a nine two five silver rectangular. I think that would be cool. Um, yeah. and there's all kinds of different dial treatments that they could do and stuff like that. So hopefully, yeah, for sure. you know, that's something we'll see in, you know, in the next year or two from them. No predictions, yeah. but yeah, but you know, we know that we know that folks, you know, especially, especially Oris, but even more so maybe the industry at large is sort of listening to enthusiast um, community and and making some decisions and, and adjustments, you know, right. The new Murph that just came out, uh, or the, the, the reimagined Murph from Hamilton, that seems like it was a direct, you know, correlation from feedback. People saying, Hey, this is a cool watch, but I, this is too big. Make it smaller. Yeah. The 42 millimeter, I think it was 42 or 43, the original. And then with the, the really big wingspan, it, it wears like a pie plate for a lot of people, unfortunately, because it's a cool watch. So the 38 is great. Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, in some ways, obviously you got to move watches, you know, you got to sell product and and 
they put a lot of effort into that and enthusiasts or, or one slice, a very small slice probably, but a vocal one. But I think, you know, in general, listening to them, and especially when it's, it's good sound design advice and, and, and puts more watches on, on the wrists, you can see, uh, you know, some brands doing that. Totally. Um, well, hey, dude, before we, we get in, started, before we get into, yeah, before we get into some more stuff, uh, what's on wrist? Well, that's actually, I was going to say, I didn't want to step on you there and I started to. So I, my wrist check today is, because it is Wednesday, this is the uh, Grand Seiko SBGA413. This is one of the original seasons for North America. This is the spring, the so-called Sakura dial, the pink one, basically. So the the pink spring drive spring dial, however you want to put it, Grand Seiko. And I've got it on that sort of that gray, gray-ish, light brown leather strap that you've seen it on before. This is from uh, Micah Dirksen at Vintager. Goes really well. As much as I like the watch, I'm not super fond of the bracelet. It just doesn't have much adjustability. So putting it on leather works well for me. And that's kind of what I'm doing on, on Grand Seiko Wednesday. How about you? What do you have on wrist? Love that watch. Spend some time with it. Every time I see, I have to take a bunch of photos too. And sometimes I'll post one like way after the fact. Like I, it's been a while since I've held on to that one for, you know, more than just uh, sitting with you. And every time I post a photo of it, I'm like, oh man, I could, I could easily see, you know, try to move a few things and maybe just pick that up and condense and consolidate and enjoy. But that's a great watch. Well, dude, if you want to borrow it again, let me know. Well, be careful what you wish for. I will probably take you up on that. Um, on my wrist is, and this will lead us into some other news, I think, too, um, is a watch that's not new. I've worn it actually maybe a time or two ago when we did our wrist check. Uh, this is my Hamilton Seabreeze, early 70s, Seabreeze 3. And my great-grandfather um, actually wore this. But the reason I'm wearing it is because I have a semi-new watch alert to share I just got this Hamilton back and two other watches from our friends at Eric's Clocks and Watches in Pasadena. Really good people. Uh, we've talked about them on the episode before, on the on the pod before. Amazing selection of like grandfather and grandmother clocks, wall clocks, desk clocks, JLC Atmos. JLC, just really cool yep. stuff. Yeah. Really neat stuff. Atmos, good people. Desk, desk clocks. Good yeah. selection. So, yeah. And then of course they have wristwatches and do service too. They've done a few things um, for me in the past, but so... I'll go. I posted something on my account yesterday. I got this manual wine Timex back, which is just really cool. It's so austere, like simple little manual wine. I mean, it's got to be 33, 34 millimeters. It's got this kind of interesting, cool radial kind of concentric sunburst. It's not a sunburst. It's a kind of this concentric radial kind of patterning on the uh, on the dial, but it's super Spartan and just really cool. I have to imagine maybe that was the first one he picked up of this set of three that I have from him now. Maybe he went on to this this Lugrin automatic uh, with a with this with the date. Um, pretty simple too. The twelve at the top's got a super cool. You know the font is really I, neat. I love that. I love that twelve at twelve. Um, I don't know what you would what the technical term is for that style of font, but the two looks so cool in the twelve. Yeah, yeah. So that's really neat. That's so that's an automatic that's up and running. And then I've had this Hamilton actually on my wrist before. You've seen it, but I got a new crystal on here. Uh, got a new crown, and I actually was able to get uh, an engraving with with his name on the back, which is pretty neat too. I coordinated that through some other friends, but uh, it's just really neat to have this this set of three all running and, and working good. Yeah, uh, tell me after the uh, the recording who did that engraving for you. I will. Yeah, we'll talk about it. It looks it looks really nice. Um, it just gives another personal touch to it. So anyway, the folks over at Eric's Clocks got everything up and running. I got some new crystals. Um, our friends at Hovig's actually helped me, of course, with uh, strapping some new things on on here with uh, with some leather straps. And then also Natalie was able to source me um, a, uh, a signed Hamilton crown, which uh, which I needed to replace on that one. So I'm really stoked. Three kind of three new watches to me, not new at all, uh, but very cool nonetheless. Yeah, no, that's I've seen all of those and I really like all of those. I think that Timex has a lot of personality. You know, there was a a time when, you know, that was basically the everyman's watch, right? Do you know what era that dates from? Is that it looks to me like it's early to mid sixties, maybe even that, earlier. That's what I'm thinking. I I'm trying to get more information. This is a a a topic I'm not super like skilled at researching and, and, and Timex is so hard. I feel like there's just not, there's so many references. Anyway, I don't know much about that one. I'm agreeing with you. I think it's a pretty early on, uh, uh, example of, of it. Um, 
it's the most simple of, of the three. You're going to, you're going to really enjoy seeing these again in person because the die, the crowns are just putting new crystals on these and crowns too. Cause all the crowns were pretty shot. Um, they just look, they're going to, you're going to be like, wow, I can't believe these were what I looked at the last time I was with you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing them, man. Well, Hey, I'm not to be outdone here. Cause I also have da, 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 new watch alert. So this is, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, this is not my wrist check today, but um, it seems like everybody's talking about this particular brand the past few days. Um, you know, Mike Pearson, this is a Zodiac, right? Mike Pearson was on with our buddies at Whiskey and Watches about a week or so ago, and they talked about a lot of things and, and plans. One of the watches that they discussed and that I've got here is the Zodiac Super Seawolf GMT World Timer. So this is the one with the, it's basically the GMT watch, but with the con, without the conventional bezel, it's got the, the World Time bezel. So all the, you know, the World Time cities are around the perimeter of this thing. This is not the kind of silver white dial with the red bezel. This one is, which is really cool looking, but it's, it is. For, for me, I, well, A, there were two reasons I went for this, but, um, I don't care for that just because, uh, you know, my eyes are getting older and there's just a little bit less contrast on the handset, which is again, kind of a, a you know, silver white handset on a silver white dial. I just, I end up hating that even though I, I like the watches in general. So I sought this one out. This is not a, um, it's not a black dial. This is kind of a, a muted flat gray and What's cool about this one is this is the the so-called, you know, error bezel. So this is the Singapore P-O-U-R-E instead of P-O-R-E. So this was these were made in error, the small batch of these, I think in both colors, but certainly, certainly the black bezel. Um, and they are kind of hard to find. They're not particularly expensive. Um, and this is, you know, this is not going to be the kind of thing that like, you know, one of these barn finds that, you know, you sell for six figures. But it's a it's an interesting kind of oddity, and you know they cleaned them up real quick. You know they they only made them very shortly, and was able to source one of these from uh, from Rob Kaplan up at Topper. So I think everybody knows you know Topper. They're uh, they're right up there in the pantheon of of great and friendly ads to work with. They had one and got one of these, and I was really stoked because this thing was in absolutely phenomenal condition, and it's a lot of fun. I'm. I've got the, the nomenclature is always, it's a mouthful, right? It's the Super Seawolf 53 Skin Diver. And I'm accustomed to wearing that and it wears very well on wrist. Well, this is, you know, basically a, a adjacent family for them, a different collection, but it's the same kind of thing. And it just wears so well. This thing is advertised as 40 millimeters. I think it probably mics out at like 39.5 or 39 for the case. And then with the bezel overhang, it's slightly bigger. Bezel action is really good. I don't know if you can hear it. It's. Oh yeah. That's really it's good. Big, it's big clunks. It's not click, 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 click. You know, it's, it's a chunky click. Um, bi-directional as it should be for this kind of thing. And yeah, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And I'm, I won't say I'm surprised but I mean, I am kind of blown away by the feature set and the quality for the money with this kind of Zodiac watch. And, you know, full disclosure, right? I mean, we talked to Mike Pearson. He's a friend. Um, we, I did not get like a deal on this watch or this was not given to me or anything like that. Uh, but the finish on these things and again, the feature set, this is essentially, you know, a GMT world time. Um, I love the fact that I believe they use on the bezel on this, Greg. It's um, it looks like it would be sapphire, right? But it, it is. I, like yeah. yeah. So I, I believe it's actually a mineral crystal. But what's cool about it is it, it really replicates the, I think, you know, the original kind of shiny quality that you, you would have gotten with Bakelite or with one of these sort of, you know, resin type, you know, uh, plasticky for la better, lack of a better way to put it, type of a... Um, a bezel that you would have got back in the sixties when these watches, you know, the GMT watches were, you know, first coming out and becoming popular anyway, super fun. The bracelets really, I think very high quality. It's got this quick detach feature. So, you know, you, people are, I think, you know, Deluxe is famous for them. The quick release spring bar. Well, this has a similar feature, but at the end link, so you can dismount this bracelet very quickly without, you know, using a tool and, you know, swap it out. And then it's got the, 
the stretchy, mm-hmm. you know, bracelet basically. So the, if there's an end link to the, the watch case, and there's also a, maybe a first link or an end link or however you want to put it, but the, the first link off of the bracelet clasp on each side has about two millimeters of spring loaded adjustability. And it's not something you set, it just slides. So it's kind of similar to um, the functionality that you would get in the Pelagos clasp from Tudor. It's a really neat and yeah, I like it a lot. Super, super cool. And, you know, I hesitate to say for the price, you know, that's the the qualifier. This this would be cool at twice the price. There you go. Yeah, uh, I think that thing is really cool. I think that I'm I'm excited. I'm glad that you tracked one down because you've actually been this has been on your mind for not just recently. You've been thinking about this for a little while, right? Yeah. So I tried to find one of these um, error bezels. The you know again the poor bezel. Uh, you know probably about a year or so ago, and I I would find one and then it, you know it'd be gone. Um, or, you know, somebody would say they'd had one and then, you know, you go to check it out and they're like, oh, sorry, our bad. It is, it's the the correct spelling. It's P-O-R-E. And after a few months of that, I just kind of gave it up. And then having heard Mike on the podcast with, um, you know, Buzz and Spence and Evan, he mentioned that again. And for the hell of it, I just did a quick search and I, I mean, immediately found one. And I was like, this is a sign. This has got to be a sign. I mean, it's Rob has one. Um, I'm getting it. <laughs> so there it is. I love that. First of all, I don't, I don't know. They, they, those guys, that was a good episode with Mike, by the way. It wasn't it was. just sort of the same old, same old, you know, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes when you've heard somebody on, on multiple pods, you know, you, you could probably guess what they're going to say. And that was new. That was good, fresh stuff. And, uh, and secondly, they're always trying to get everybody on the, their fast forum finds or fresh forum finds. And uh, I don't know, it's quite the same, but in some ways I feel like this worked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was the same kind of thing. And I, um, I think I stopped to text the guys and I was like, I'm listening to the pod right now. And having started listening to it, I, you know, I went and did a search, found this watch. And then lo and behold, like five minutes into the pod, it's this, this very reference is mentioned. I'm getting it. So but good. So good. Yeah. And the error dial, like it obviously fits really well in with the ethos of spirit of time, right? Oh yeah, totally. Well, I mean, you know, it's Singapore and we're going to circle back on that in a minute. And I mean, I don't know if you want to, you know, just kind of dive right into the other thing. I mean, there's new watch impressions to talk about. And the big one for me is basically the, well, I hesitate to say Hodinkee. They're going to be the the retailer for it in North America, but it's not a Hodinkee limited edition. It's a Pan Am limited edition, again, Mm -hmm. from Zodiac. So it's essentially this watch that we're talking about this, this world timer GMT, but it's going to be in, you know, the old style kind of Pan Am corporate logo colors with the logo. It is an officially licensed, uh, kind of collaboration limited edition. And I believe it's going to be either 182 or 187, um, copies of this are going to be made. I think Hodinkee 182. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hodinkee has a hundred and then there's 82 for the European market. I think it's select authorized dealers. I love that watch. I I did a good post on it yesterday for spirit of times, uh, IG feed and, you know, having just gotten, you know, the more garden variety watch, I I probably won't buy a a Pan Am version of the exact same thing like a week later, but, uh, I, I am sorely tempted. I'll tell you that. What did you think of it? It's really cool. We had there were some rumblings, uh, you right. know, that a week, two, you know, week and a half out that there would be something that would be quite interesting to a lot of folks. But obviously, you're, you know, us in particular. It's really great. I mean, it, it's so nostalgic. I think anything Pan Am is immediately going to grab people's attention, whether or not um, you know they have a, a personal interest, you know, or a background or experience, which obviously you know some people have a little deeper connection to. But I think in general, it's just such a cool. Um, uh, you know, callback. And uh, it's just beautiful. It's super handsome. I mean, the watch we're talking about is again, very similar, you know, to the one that you just picked up. So this is a known quantity in terms of what the watch is. I think one thing I didn't notice at first, um, looking at some of the renders and then the photographs, but now getting a, a closer look at it is I love the sort of um, the Pan Am logo. I, I can't tell if it's in relief or raised. I, I'm thinking it's raised on the background, on the back, on the background of the dial, right? It's sort of like Tone on tone, almost. Is that is that how you would describe it? 
Yeah, well, I think if I don't have it in front of me right now, the image, but if I'm I'm understanding what you're talking about, there's sort of two design elements, right? One is the obvious logo in white right. on the blue dial. But then the other thing is there's like a dial texturized. That's you right. know, uh, Exactly. And I don't know if that's in positive or like a negative relief, but it does appear to be in relief, not just kind of like a print. Um, and it's, it is basically, yeah, it looks like a kind of a globe, right? It's, you know, kind yeah. of you know, lat long lines on, on a globe. And it's this sort of stylistic sort of element that's faded into the background. So you have to kind of look, look for it initially. Um, it'd be interesting to see in real life. Like if it's, if that pops more, you know, under sunlight or, or, you know, bright interior lights, if, if it's much more visible or, or how that works. Yeah. I mean, it's really attractive. It's subtle. It's cool. The whole package is really neat. You know, it comes in, you know, so this Pan Am, you know, box, it's got, uh, Pan Am, you know, uh, cloth with it. That's got, you know, some routes on there and come, I think with a, you know, a NATO strap. I mean, it's a, it's a really, really good package. Everything put together is awesome. It looks great. It's handsome. It's cool. Yeah, totally. I think, and I mentioned this in the, uh, the Instagram post, the only thing I would have done different, and I wish I could have been brought in on, on the design is I would have changed some of the cities on, you know, the city ring around it. You know, I would have had, uh, you know, instead of Numea, I would have had Wake Island, and Key West, Key West is extremely important in the history of Pan Am. Um, you know, one of their one of their first routes as Pan Am was basically carrying mail and, and one-off passengers between Key West and Havana, and then eventually further south. We we tend to think of them as this trans-Pacific airline, but initially they were you know it was Latin America that was really important for Pan Am, and uh, you know as as important as New York is or you know, was in the history of Pan Am. Key West arguably was, was more important historically. So I would have just done stuff like that. Like, you know, swapped out some of those on the, uh, on the city ring on the world time, you know, ring, but that's a, a very minor missed opportunity and gripe for me. Who's just a, an enthusiast and, and loves all the airline history stuff. You know, Hashtag I collect that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Av geek for life. I, I collect all of the, uh, the old ephemera and t-shirts and stuff like that. I did see some people, you know, posting in the Zodiac, um, feed itself. Like, Hey, you know, who cares? This is a business that's been out of basically been defunct for 30 years. It's an old airline, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? I'm like, Oh, you, you don't get it. <laughs> There's a, a huge market for this stuff. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I, I get it. If you're just not into it, you know, if you're not s- steeped into it, maybe it doesn't really resonate. But uh, to your point, it, it's it's deeply cool to a lot of folks. So that's why they did it. That's why it's really cool. And people are going to love these. Yeah, totally. It's the holiday season. I've got a lot of places for my money to go. I need a, a particular piece of additional furniture in the house. I've got to replace my iPhone. Uh, but if I didn't have a lot of, you know, impending kind of crappy expenses, I would, I would definitely be getting this watch. I, I might still get this watch against my better judgment, but I, I won't, I won't put it past you to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it could happen. Crazier things could happen. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know, That's you right. know what's, what's cooler to have the, you know, the error bezel or the Pan Am watch, the Pan Am watch certainly speaks to me a lot. So anyhow, what's, but what's, cool, what's cooler is to have both. Shut up! Yeah, I'm, I'm playing. Uh, I'm playing into sort of the, some of the threads that we have offline. You know, where people are just completely supportive slash encouraging slash bad for your wallet. Right? You 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 post something to the group. And you say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And they say, "Yeah, bye, 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 bye." Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, just get both and see which one sort of resonates more. You know, in the first thirty yeah. to sixty days, and then just sell the other one. And we all know nobody ends up selling stuff like that, or or it'll take a year. It does. It's been hard to sell things lately. That's in another sort of a, a, a set of circumstances for folks. It's finding good places to move things is is hard, but uh, a bunch yeah. of enablers in this community, but that's what makes it fun too. Um, yeah. So we got, we got a wind of, a, of, of another really cool release that actually I think will drop at some point in between when we're recording and when we post the episode. Um, and this is a brand that we've been, you know, watching a, 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 a gotten a lot of, you know, really good stuff out lately, but we haven't had a chance to to have one in person. Hopefully we can change that soon. This is the Formex. Um, now they've got a number of, of uh, really interesting watches in the in the catalog here, but this is the Essence Space Rock Limited Edition Meteorite Dial. So the Essence is a, a case and a watch that they've, they've been making for some time now. 
and they've got a, a new, very limited edition, 88 pieces, basically meteorite dial coming out, which will drop at some point in the next, I guess, what, 20 some odd hours? Yeah, I think the embargo lifts on it in about a day. So, you know, um, I want to say the embargo is is keyed to GMT plus one, right? Paris time, basically. So yeah, I, I don't think I'll be able to edit this and get it up fast enough to violate the embargo so we can maybe talk about it right now freely and then and plan on dropping this and this should be fine. I've seen the the images, just basically the you know, the small scale images. I've never held this watch. Um and like you, I want to kind of change that. I'd love to to get some of these watches, especially this essence line. Yeah. Um, just you know, it it looks uh a little bit different than just about anything else. And it's cool to see, I mean, I don't know yet if meteorite dial is my thing, but it's cool to see that material getting democratized a little bit. You know, um, this brand has one, there are others as well, um, who are putting out watches with meteorite dials that look great and they're not crazy expensive. And it's not the usual thing like say, you know, a, a meteor a meteorite dial GMT2. That's right. I think that's that's the, an interesting takeaway from this. So just to uh, park the details, there's a 39 millimeter and a 41 millimeter version. So you have two sizes to pick from. There's 88 pieces each. And you're right. I think we've seen a number of meteorite dial things come out lately. And, and maybe part of the takeaway is, A, it's really cool. Um, I like the case shape. Um, but honing back in on the dial material to sort of bring meteorite to more people in this way is a uh, is really fascinating, and I wonder if there is a fun dial material renaissance sort of going on now too. Um, you know, I say that thinking back to the episode we did with our buddy Chase Horology four one one about sort of precious metals and watches, but also alternative materials. And we talked a little bit about dials. I think we had his Burlwood uh, Rolex uh, day date with us, which was freaking cool. So good. That thing was bonkers. It was. I, it was like, it was like having a boat anchor on wrist. And I mean, it was, this is the 36 millimeter version. It's so heavy. I, I love it. And I want to say, gosh, I, I, I have to go back and listen to it, but the, the joke was, and I want to say we were talking about airlines, but the joke was you said, Hey, this is what the, uh, the CEO wears, uh, uh in regards to the, the, the yellow gold Burlwood day date. And Chase said, yeah, yeah. But, but the chairman, Wears the, you know, because he had his Patek uh, Philippe Ellipse with him too. Remember, he's like the chairman was wearing the Patek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, to your point, I mean, we talked a lot about um, use of alternative materials, precious metals, and things like that in watches. And you're right, there, there's a lot going on, I think, with dials right now. You know, the uh, Mother of Pearl is certainly always popular. Um, Tiger Eye Dials. There's, there's a lot of stuff. I don't, I don't, the upcycle dials from Oris. Yeah. You know, as a different type of material um, or whatever treatment they gave to that billion oyster project, you know, such that it, it looked kind of like mother pearl. And I, I honestly don't remember now if it was, I remember there was like a two layer process, but uh, it had that interesting kind of no two alike look to it. And this is certainly the same thing. You know, meteorite is, is very cool. And at the very least, it's going to be a pretty cool party trick to show your friends like, Hey, check out this dial, especially people who don't know a lot about watches and say, Hey, this, this dial basically is from a piece of rock that's been dated back to, you know, X number of millennia, you know, before the time of Christ or whatever, whatever, however old it is, but it's certainly very, very, very old in epochal times terms. I would love to hear, and I, I know we know some folks that would be able to shed some light on this for us maybe, but it would be fun to hear how you broker, you know, the deals to order <laughs> these materials, right? Because you have to acquire the meteorite, right? And so that would be just a fascinating conversation to be a fly on the wall of. Yeah. And just from a watch industry point of view, it, you know, are these chunks of rock brokered? as pieces of rock or is there like a manufacturer intermediary who's got a bunch of these things and can make them to spec for different watch brands that's a really interesting i really question. don't know yeah yeah we're gonna have to dive into that a little bit more i think there's actually a lot to talk about there and by the next time we get together i might have something related to what we were just discussing and it's kind of interesting dials i've been inspired by 
by some friends and, and colleagues recently. So I'll keep you posted on that. Yeah. Well, I think I know what you're talking about, but don't spoil it here. Let's wait till it actually happens if it happens. But that <laughs> could be right. cool. Could yeah, be another, very cool. another new watch alert sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right on. Well, what do you think, man? Should we get kind of into our main topic? Yeah, I think we should. We did uh, our holiday gift guide uh, just last episode. So we're, we've been in the holiday spirit for some time and shifting our holiday spirits forward. I think we have some pretty cool stuff to share with people, ideas on uh, what to put on the menu, you know, particularly around the, the holiday cocktail program. Yeah, totally. We are, I mean, this we are spirit of time, right? And so we've always kind of made it our mission to talk a little bit more about what's in the glass and what kind of things we're we're looking forward to, you know, tasting on a weekend and that sort of thing. And whether that's, you know, craft beer or good cocktails or fine tequila. I've learned so much from you and my association with you over the past year and a half with this this project, whatever we want to call it, about tequila. I mean, it's I'm completely ruined for big bottle tequila now. And it's a likewise. lot of fun. So, yeah, likewise on the wine we- too. You know, I think you know when we first started, I think I almost defaulted and said, "Well, Matt will take care of the wine." And then you've seen, you know, we've been sharing messages now for a while, and every time I pick up something new, I get your thoughts on it, and you help guide me. And uh, so I think it's cool. It's really fun because we each bring different tastes and experiences and, and knowledge to the table, and hopefully we can you know, get that out on the pod too. And we learn a ton of stuff from people on the pod, you know, uh, whether it's bourbon, whiskey related and, and other cocktails. So it's just a lot of fun to share, share ideas and, and tips and, and interests and steer people to yeah. the directions that we think we might want to be in. Absolutely. Well, to that end, we're going to spend some time talking about like cocktail and booze recommendations specifically for the holiday season, right? So Essentially, when we can kind of do this one of a couple of ways, do you want to go down a list on each side or do you want to ping pong it like we we have in the past? I have two things that I was going to share. One's more detailed than the other, but I actually think the the one is going to complement yours. So I want you to maybe lead us off. Okay. So I've got three. So yeah, that works. If like, I'll go, you go, I go, you go, et cetera. Um, but you got to help me out here because of the three, which did you want me to lead with? Let's go with the namesake of of your most recent acquisition. Okay, okay. So um, this is, for anybody familiar with this next cocktail, this is not going to sound like a holiday cocktail per se, but the fact is we have, as we sort of alluded to, right, we got our, our analytics data, right, from Apple and from Spotify and especially from SoundCloud. And we know for a fact that we have quite a few listeners in Australasia, especially Australia and in New Zealand. And for those guys and gals, Christmas is a warm weather holiday and, you know, one of the cool places that's on the map. And, you know, we talk about the, uh, the Singapore dial P O U R E. I mean, Singapore is basically on the equator. So I think they get to kind of pick whether they're North, North or South hemisphere. Um, but we're going to go with the Singapore sling. So this is an, an absolute classic. Are you familiar with the history of this? Cause there's so many variations on the Singapore sling. Only a little bit because of I was only because of research, you know, getting ready for today. So feel free to share anything because I'd be I'd love to know more. So I mean, full disclosure, I've never been to Singapore. We probably could talk to our buddy Summer about this, um, you know, or people who are maybe more well traveled than me. But um, Singapore, basically former British colony, British protectorate up until World War II, and one of the the really famous kind of cultural institutions there for travelers and, and expats and stuff was a, a famous hotel there called Raffles. And the bar there, I think the long bar is supposed to be the place where the Singapore sling originated. It, this recipe goes back over a hundred years and there's a, a variety of different um, versions of this. So essentially Singapore sling, the main thing for most people, it's going to be a gin based cocktail. That's going to have cherry flavored brandy. So that's Kirsch or Kirschwasser for you know, most people that's, that's how you're going to find it. Um, grenadine syrup and Benedictine liqueur. So that's going to have like a little bit of an herbaceous kind of a thing. And then from there you start playing with it. So some variations on this cocktail are going to lean toward like citrus juices. So things like, you know, uh, you know, fresh lime juice or triple sec, um, other recipes will be more heavily kind of leaning toward pineapple. So, you know, like floating a chunk of pineapple and pineapple juice. I kind of like that. It's got a club soda backbone. 
it ends up being a really kind of a colorful drink. There's some yellow, there's some kind of orange. Once the thing mixes up a little bit, it is boozy. So you got to be careful. It's kind of like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, other really like spirit heavy cocktails, something like a Negroni, you know, or a, uh, a martini or something like that, where by volume, basically everything is alcohol. This is not quite that bad, but there's a lot of sugar in it too with the juices. So you got to watch out. You can have one of these and then you probably need to move to wine or a light, lighter beer, light lager or something like that. But Singapore sling is great. And as you say, it's apropos because I have the Singapore dial, uh, Zodiac now. So that is my first suggestion. That's especially for everybody basically in Oz, everybody south of the equator. But on the other hand, you know, there's people like us. We live in a in a climate that has the potential to be warm even at Christmas. So it can be fun. I love it. I think it's right on brand. We joked around as you were actually getting ready to pick up your your new Zodiac that uh that was probably going to be the first the first drink, the first t- uh, cocktail ma- matchmaker that we had to do. So uh, it sounds fantastic. I've never actually had it before. And um, I think it's right on spot. You know, it, like you said, it touches people everywhere, uh, whether they're, you know, celebrating winter holidays or not. So pretty good. I love it. I'm going to riff on it. Um, are you ready for this? Yeah, go for it, man. What do you got? So as I would be maybe expected to do, I'm going to, also do a Singapore sling, but I'm going to call a few audibles. And I actually, I think this was inspired partly, I, I saw it on, uh, uh, of all places, Patron had done a sort of a riff on this, but I took what they did and I, I made it something a little different, more to my speed. So I'm calling this the Senior Singapore sling. And as you can imagine, we're going to sub out one of the main, you know, uh, uh, spirits ingredients. We're going to use tequila. So for this Senior Singapore Sling, we're going to do tequila, we're going to do lime juice, we're going to do pineapple juice. So it's still pretty, pretty I think, familiar to a classic Singapore Sling recipe. And this is where we're going to start to switch things up. I think we're going to use some of the uh, syrup from the Luxardo cherries. So we're going to do um, Luxardo cherry syrup. Then we're going to do two to three dashes each of Angostura bitters, but also um, Aztec chocolate bitters. Fee Brothers Ooh. makes a nice one. Right? And then we're just going to top it up with soda water de- uh, uh, and garnish it with a dehydrated lime wheel, pineapple, and again, that Luxardo cherry. This is a riff. This is sort of tequila inspired, but I think it'll be familiar enough if you like this cocktail with certainly its own take on it. And that's the Senior Singapore Sling. Now, do you think that would be wrecked by going one step further and going with like not a not too smoky mezcal? Not at all. I, I considered it, um, and I think that it certainly would play off nicely from the citrus, um, and then also you know the chocolate bitters, and then the actual Angostura bitters too. I think we'll make it both ways and see which one we like. Okay, I could see that being maybe a bridge too far, like flavor wise. Um, and I'm making this if it's me. I'm making that drink with a blanco tequila. I'm assuming you are That's too. Right. Or are you going to do something a little bit with some color in it? No, I think you're right. I think uh, keeping sort of the brightness of the cocktail in line with uh, an unaged tequila would make the most sense. So uh, yeah, we're going to go tequila blanco. Right on. Well, that sounds good, man. I should try that. And that is a great riff. We will try right, it. We'll do, we'll do a side by side. I am. Hit me. Okay. So my next one, I, I may have talked about this before. This is a deceptively simple. It's one of the it maybe is the oldest beer-based cocktails. I mean, around here, you know, a beer cocktail is a Michelada and full stop. But I think a really good one in kind of cold weather is something a little more fortifying, but at the same time kind of festive. And I'm going to recommend a Black Velvet. Have you ever tried that? No, but I have heard of it. So I'm really curious. Okay. So a Black Velvet is basically, it's a 50-50 mix and it's going to be a, you know, a stout beer. So think um, Murphy's or Guinness. I mean, and those those are the classics, you know, certainly Guinness. I like Murphy's, but, you know, your mileage may vary. Um, and then the other half of the cocktail is just uh, champagne or, you know, sparkling white wine. So there's different ways you can kind of play with this because, as you know, you know, especially around here, we've got a lot of, you know, microbrew establishments and things like that. So they're all kind of like mildly flavored, um, you know, uh, spirit or not spirit, but stout options that 
give you maybe some some room to maneuver on this drink. You serve it um, in a tall glass. So, you know, typically it's going to be served in the same type of like champagne flute that you would, you know, put a, a sparkling white wine in. And the idea behind this is they're surprisingly complimentary. If you've never tried one of these, I think you would think that it is going to be absolutely gross and like dreck in a glass. Um, you know, stout is so bitter for a lot of people. It's just going to wreck anything you pour it into. And it's not even remotely true. It, If anything, the, sh- the champagne or the sparkling white wine is going to kind of tamp, in, tamp, what's the word? Like tamp down the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the they're both have some gas. So you've, you've still got that sort of gassy bubbly kind of quality. Um, it tends to not lighten up at all. When I've, I've poured them, they mix. I'm told I've never seen it, but I'm told that you can, depending on the type of champagne you use, if it's got the right kind of differential in the specific gravity, you can get a black and tan effect. Um, but you'd have to use, you know, one of those kind of pour over spoons so that, you know, you, you essentially you diffuse the pour. That's probably too much work. It's not worth it. Um, just, you know, do the 50, 50 mix, give it a light stir. Um, it's really, really pleasant. And I guess the lore on this is that this cocktail, the black velvet goes back to Victorian England. So this, the recipe for this is over 150 years old. And it was basically a drink that people could have in like a, a social setting during the morning period after the death, I guess, of Prince Albert, right? So this would be the sort of thing, if you wanted champagne, it would maybe be unseemly if you're at one of these, you know, really fancy places like the Savoy or, you know, uh, uh, the Connacht or whatever the fancy hotels were back at the time. And if you were out with friends, um, you might not ask for a champagne because you're not supposed to be having that good a time, I guess you know, after, after the death of, of one of the monarchs. So you get the idea, but I feel like these are, it's a really good kind of fortifying beverage. It's fun and it's not, it's neither difficult nor expensive. It, I mean, it's literally about the most basic cocktail you can possibly make with stuff that like the average dude or gal is going to have on hand at the holidays. A lot of fun. Black velvet. Sounds really intriguing. I'm going to try it. At first, I thought you were going towards almost like a black and tan, uh, the way you were describing the beginning of it. I'm like, oh, okay, like this sounds pretty familiar. And now I'm really in in, in the sort of uh, uh, spirit of um, of wanting to try this and and also enjoying a bl- good black and tan. Yeah, I mean, I think there's different ways too. One of the things I would like to try is um, if you can, and I think the thing to do, the move would be to get a really well gassed, if you can get, you know, one of those nitro cans or or something like that, get about three quarters of the glass full of the mix and then top it off with a little bit more of the, the stout. So you get some of the head formation on the top and then maybe put a little bit of like a ground nutmeg to float on that head or just something very, very light, like a little, you know, a cinnamon or even like a a little brown sugar. You know, some cultures you see them putting a, uh, uh, a sugar cube, you know, in a, in a glass of champagne, that sort of thing, just something different. There's a lot of a ways to kind of spice that up or sweeten it or whatever the case may be. So right off of those flavor notes and that you were just describing and, and actually building off too, you were saying really simple cocktail, our buddy Brian at the high West saloon is always saying my favorite cocktails only have three rest, uh, three ingredients. Uh, I'm just going to recommend sort of a, a mixer and let people take it from here. Maybe people will show us what they made, but this is something, if you have a Trader Joe's anywhere near you, um, I imagine there's other variations, but people get really excited about this, this particular one. This is the Trader Joe's winter wassail cocktail um, or juice. Excuse me. Have you seen this before? I haven't. So they call it their, I don't know what this is. uh, You got to grab it. So it it looks like a, you know, like a plastic, you know, uh, a a container of like, like what apple juice would come in, but it's called winter wassail. And um, I hope I'm saying it correctly, but essentially it's like a sweetened blend of blackcurrant, apple, lemon juices, and then there's cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, cardamom, ginger, orange people, or orange peel, excuse me. You're getting the idea of where the flavor profile is. Yeah, totally. I Although I have nothing against orange people, just for the record. <laughs> We're, we are very pro-orange people and orange peels. Um 
this is just a it's only a rail they usually as trader joe's does it's seasonal right but so they put this out around now it's just a perfect anything ingredient to mix cocktails with you could get really fancy with it which i've done in the past you could get really simple and literally just go you know this with you know soda water and whatever your your uh uh uh, spirit of choices, um, your base spirit. I'm sure you, you know you could do easily vodka, but that's boring. Um, but if you just wanted to pump out some cocktails, or that's all you had on you, um, tequila works well with it. You can make margaritas essentially um, uh, with it. How, um, I think gin would work. How citrus forward is it? Not very. Um, I would say it's a muted citrus profile. I think you get a lot more of the sort of wintry flavor profiles to me like the you know the cinnamon and the clove come through a little more so i wonder if you could throw in a little bit of a bourbon or a weeded uh, weeded bourbon or something like that in there if it's if it's more of a spice kind of a thing easily and then if you really wanted to you could just google you know trader trader joe's winter wassail recipes and like there's a jillion of them people love using this stuff right so there's you know there's ones that come directly from trader joe's you know here we come a wassailing you know there's cocktail punches. I mean, there's literally anything and everything. So you can make this as complex or as simple as you want. I think you could use any base spirit, um, really kind of holiday wintry feeling in its, uh, you know, flavor profile and yeah, go grab it and experiment, enjoy, have fun. Let us know what you do with it. Yeah. I'm actually going to do that. That's something I've, like I said, I've, I've never seen that before. And Trader Joe's is walking distance from me. I'm going, I'll probably hit that tomorrow for the weekend. There you go. There's your weekend, uh, you know, holiday cocktail program. Uh, we've, we've got a number of them for you and I think you still have one more. Yeah, I do. Actually, I'm going to cheat cause I have two. It's really one and a half. Um, this one also doesn't really count as a cocktail, but I mean, I guess it sort of is, and it is going to be, I think, appealing for people who are in warm climates. So again, those, those Australians among us, and Southern Californians and stuff. But the the look of this particular cocktail or this drink, the way it's prepared, would actually be really nice on anybody's table. And I think the you just maybe go with a little bit less ice or um, you know, less of a cooling kind of a, a touch to it. But I'm just gonna suggest, and I don't know what you would call it, but everybody I think is familiar with the concept of like a white wine sangria, right? So Definitely. what I'm gonna suggest is just a white sangria that leans more heavily on the fruit component, you dial down the citrus and dial up the apple. So, you know, white sangria typically has, you know, it's going to have like, you know, lemon, lime, orange, and then apple. Here, you'd maybe cut the the citrus piece in half and replace that volume with cubed apples like Granny Smith and maybe Pippin or something like that. Get a lot of apple in there, a little bit more cinnamon. And then for color, you can get um, you know jars of cranberry and you get cranberry in there and I would muddle some and then leave some whole and then you're gonna serve this thing in you know in a, a typical glass however you would normally serve sangria and it's gonna have these whole you know um, pieces of kind of the, the red cranberry in there and then each glass is gonna be garnished with a whole kind of a healthy sprig of rosemary and you know I love rosemary from all of my grilling right? You do, you you do, and it's a perfect accompaniment. Yeah, so it's it's the kind of thing that has just the right aroma and the color, right? It's going to be essentially a a green and red kind of color palette in the glass. And as long as you don't make it too cold, you know, I don't see why you couldn't have this by the fireside in in New Hampshire over turkey or ham or something like that. It would just be something that's a little bit lighter on the palate and. You know, depending on how much you do some of the other stuff, you know, some, a lot of sangria recipes call for some kind of liqueur or something like that. I would probably do, I would not put that in the main mix and I would just have a, a little float of something like on the top, like a, you know, think of like a Cointreau or just, just for a little color and aroma that would complement that cranberry and rosemary. So that's kind of my third my third suggestion for a holiday cocktail beverage. And that's really about, for kind of eating with food or drinking with food. How about, um, do you think uh, uh, that really uh, tasty method vermouth might might play nicely into that as well? 
Oh, you know what? I bet it would. I bet it would. Yeah. As long as you probably have to add, add a little bit, then taste, add a little bit and taste to get to a right threshold so that it doesn't overpower everything else. But I think that would pick up the rosemary really well. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah or, I love it. Or if I think you can't that, get rosemary. Yeah. There you go. If you can't get it either. You know, and actually it can be kind of difficult to get in the grocery store these this time of year. People get really ex- buy them out. Well, yeah, dried rosemary is everywhere, obviously, but you know, I'm I'm fortunate. I've got a couple of huge, you know, bushes in the back, and I mean, it's it's a weed for me, so I I cook everything with it. And you know, having fresh rosemary that isn't frozen, you know, or covered in ice, um, I can't take it for granted that everybody can get that. But if you couldn't, yeah, a good like an herbaceous vermouth might give you a kind of a similar substitute, and then just find some other green element that isn't, you know, crazy pungent where isn't going to throw off everything else. And and you can do the exact same thing as a riff on that. Yeah. Yeah. You posted something the other day. You said, if, if nothing, I am consistent. Right. And it was sort of like your a profile grid shot of all of your kind of weekend wrap ups. <laughs> yes. There's got to be rosemary in at least half of them. Oh yeah. At least half, at least yeah. half, like just about any kind of red meat I'm doing is going to have rosemary in there. So yeah, that's that is it. And then the other thing I have, it's not really, I mean, this is so obvious, but it's something I haven't done in years. And that's when I have company over, you know, and you're having, you know, let's say, you know, sit down dinner. If you're the kind of household or you know, where you're gonna have some kind of coffee going after, um, who's to say you couldn't have like a little uh, you know, a little container or something like Carolans or Bailey's in lieu of creamer. Um, to me, that's always a nice little holiday spirit thing or something that's like a, like a mint, uh, you know, liqueur, some kind of mint cordial, even something like a peppermint schnapps or something like that. Just it's like a, a, a different take on Irish coffee. You have, you know, mint in a coffee. Why not? It can be a little like boozy. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. Actually, we were kind of playing around with that a little bit over Thanksgiving. I, I even just ended up making a cocktail off of it too. Um, but if you're sort of in a caramel caramel uh, flavor profile of your coffee, you know the what is it the uh, liqueur that Spanish liqueur forty three, uh, cuatro seis or whatever. Um, you know if you have that some of that laying around, that goes really nicely into a into a coffee as well. You know just maybe splash of bourbon and uh, I think we actually had some caramel um, cream liqueur as well. So yeah, oh love god, it. that can you, that would be so good. Mix all that up and then pour that over ice. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Jackpot. So there's another one. Good one. Good one. So that's bonus, con- I think, bonus content folks. Yeah. Right. I mean, and don't even get us started on wine. Um, but I think that is going to kind of put the bow on our, our holiday cocktail and booze suggestions from Matt and Greg at spirit of time. Greg, I think it's about time to wrap this up. Do you have any sort of last minute things you want to talk about? Any suggestions or recommendations? Yeah, just a suggestion or excuse me, a recommendation. Um, although I do want to you know, encourage Anybody who's playing with any of these recipes or has one that we didn't think of, send them over to us. We want to see them. This is sort of part of that, you know, cocktail matchmaker, uh, uh, you know, umbrella of, of stuff that we were hopeful to do and, and ca- try to keep involved in in the podcast. So tag us, post it to us, riff on our stuff. We want to see what you guys did. Um, I have one recommendation. It's a YouTube channel um, for those who follow the vintage watch scene. I think it'll be, you know, pretty familiar, uh, faces. Although I didn't realize they had a YouTube channel until just recently. So I don't know how long they've been posting videos. Um, but based off the, off our chat earlier, when we were talking about the meteorite dial and that Formex um, essence, and then sort of the, you know, the, maybe the Renaissance or, or even also democratization of, of kind of cool, um, uh, dial materials. I had stumbled on, do you know these Goldammer vintage watches? I think they're based out of Germany. I do not. Until you told me about them, I had not been, you know, familiar with them or have I've never checked them out. It's a big they've been selling watches now for a while. I mean, they've got really beautiful stuff. Um, if you're on their Instagram, I think it's just uh, you know, Gold Dahmer. I hope I'm saying that correctly. It's G-O-L-D-A-M-M-E-R. So that's Gold Dahmer. Um and uh, they, I mean, you know, they're selling stuff. They're, they're, the the photography is incredible. It's, it's sorry, it's, sorry. Excuse me. It's goldammer.me. Um, yeah, they're in Germany, Rostock, Germany, and just beautiful, beautiful vintage stuff. Uh, usually a little sort of, you know, left of center or right of center. You know, um, you know, stuff like 
you know, vintage Piaget, you know, obviously you're going to find some Rolex in there, um, a lot of old Vacheron, um, you know, and Cartier, of course, too, good, good helping of Omega. Um, so just really cool stuff, a lot of Art Deco stuff, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. I don't know how much further beyond, maybe they go into the 70s. So um, a lot of gold, I think a lot of gold. But anyway, they have a, a, a YouTube channel as well. I think the guy's name is Felix, who, who's on the on the channel. And they recently just posted one just two days ago, actually, called Stone Dials, All You Need to Know. It's about 14 minutes. And it's really interesting because he goes into sort of the history of Stone Dials, you know, who was doing them early on, um, what are some of the, you know, most... Uh, usual suspects, right? You know, the onyx and the quartzes and, and of course, things like, you know, lapis lazuli and things like that, you know, maybe who's still doing them, what the cost of uh, kind of unearthing these, uh, these materials are and, and how they leverage them into watchmaking and how it played into fashion, as well as sort of watch design, really cool, 14, 15 minutes. Um, and then maybe it'll lead you to their, you know, other stuff too. And, and of course, their page is, is excellent. Um, they sell a lot of really beautiful vintage stuff. Well, I have to check it out, man. Like I said, I've never seen that before. And the interest in stone dials is only growing, at least for me. 100% agree with you. Yep, yep. Well, I also have a suggestion. Um, this is you know, vaguely related to the Pan Am watch that we talked about earlier. That's kind of what inspired this suggestion. I'm, I think we talked about this before, and I believe you'd mentioned that you have never heard of or seen the movie China Clipper. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so this is probably the the best Humphrey Bogart film you've never seen. So it's not really a Humphrey Bogart film. This is made in 1936. Humphrey Bogart is in it, um, and he's got a, a fairly significant supporting role. But this is basically a thinly disguised sort of uh, biography, if you will, of Juan Tripp or Juan Trippy, depending on how you want to pronounce it, who is was basically the the prime mover in the formation and growth of Pan Am, the airline. And it really kind of looks at how he drove. He was such a, a, a force of nature and how he drove the development of aircraft with this goal of building routes that would allow you know people to travel by air from the West Coast of the United States, like San Francisco, uh, it, to China. And you know what sort of technical hurdles and you know, what kind of problems he had with everything from, you know, financing to the technology at the time to, you know, politics and everything like that. It's it's an interesting movie in that it gives you some insight as to what that must have really been like. I mean, the movie parts of it are a little bit schlocky. And ironically, like the main character is played by an actor named Pat O'Brien, who's kind of, you know, a, a non-entity now, but, you know, it was a big deal, I guess, in the 30s. And, you know, then, you know, one of the secondary players ends up becoming, you know, one of the most important actors in the 40s. So yeah, anyhow, yeah. it's a great story. Um, I definitely recommend it. It's it's a lot of fun. China. Perfect. Yeah, I think people should be looking, you know, hopefully people have some downtime, you know, over the next few weeks and they're just hanging around and looking for something good to throw in the TV and, uh, you know, mix up the the inundation of holiday movies, which I'm all here for. But sometimes you need to give it a little bit of a break and, and spice things up. Yeah, it's different. It, it's the kind of thing maybe you can watch that is not, again, not overtly, well, it's not at all a holiday movie, but it's the kind of thing where you, if you've got some downtime and you want to you know, check out something that you probably have never seen before, that's about an interesting period of time and uh, has you know direct bearing on this kind of cool limited edition watch. If you'd like to know more about why Pan Am is such a kind of a cultural phenomenon, watch that movie. Yeah, if you were one of those people that said, I don't get it, this would probably be a way to get it. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Love it, man. Well, uh, loads of fun. This is a really uh, kind of eclectic episode, but sort of in line with, you know, time of year and, and some things that are going on around, you know, with what we're up to and also even just generally with releases and, and other stuff. So I, I think we tied it in pretty pretty well together. There's a lot of uh, uh, sort of you know, you know, closing the loop on on a few of these things and, and sort of you know circling back and foreshadowing. And it's cool. I liked it. Yeah. Singapore Dial, Singapore Sling, Pan Am Limited Edition, Pan Am Movie, et cetera, et cetera. All good, man. It's good to see you. Um, 
I, with an ounce of luck, we'll be able to record again before, you know, the end of the year, but this, uh, so we'll just have to play that by ear, but for now, this will kind of serve or stand in as a December check-in and hope everybody is doing well out there. Everybody have a safe, happy, healthy holiday season. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Cheers. You got it, bud. Cheers. Take care. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.